welcome to Us Anxious Folk, a podcast for the perpetually panicked, chronically overwhelmed, consistent warrior in all of us, or in me rather. <laughs> um, I am your host, Lauren Rose, a 30-something recovered agoraphobic from Australia. You may already know me from my Instagram or my YouTube. I'm assuming that's where you know me from because I've probably advertised this on my page. Uh, (laughs) So welcome. But I thought that I would start this episode with a little bit of my backstory since this is the first official episode of this podcast. Uh, Just to like, you know, get the feel for it a little bit. Um, So apologies if you already know most of this story, but I guess the thing that people are interested in when it comes to my story is agoraphobia and how I recovered from agoraphobia. Um, And so I thought I'd talk a little bit about that today uh, because agoraphobia is fucking hard. Um... (laughs) It's, I'm just not going to beat around the bush there. It is a very difficult uh, thing to deal with. It's, it's hard, basically. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so my issues with anxiety didn't start until my early 20s. As a teenager, I certainly had the standard teenage angst, um, but I didn't have anxiety. I had a fair bit of depression. Um, So mental illness wasn't new to me, but anxiety was completely new to me. Uh, But I started having panic attacks in my early 20s. I didn't know what they were because I'd never had them before. I remember when the first one happened, I thought that I was coming down with something. I thought that I'd eaten something bad or um, I guess because the, the physical feelings were just so intense with my first panic attack. And... Then the next time it happened, I assumed that I was still unwell or that, you know, I like was getting some kind of severe disease. Um, They kept happening. I went to the doctor a few times, but um, I mean, I didn't even really understand what was going on. So I couldn't quite understand it. I mean, I couldn't quite explain it to someone. So it was it was hard to get an answer when I didn't know what the question was, you know, besides I feel weird and weird things are happening to me. Uh, so yeah, it went on like that for a, a f- like, I'm going to say one or two years of me having these panic attacks. And then um, they increased in severity. They increased in frequency. I noticed that I would mostly have them when I was on my way to work. So In the morning, when I'd wake up, they would kick in. I would have a bad one in the car on the way to work. I would sometimes have them at work um, or I'd have them when I was going somewhere, like when I had to go catch up with a friend or, um, you know, just when I had somewhere that I had to be, that was when I would panic. I generally wouldn't have a panic attack if I was just sitting at home. So I kind of started to say no to things. I didn't make my world too much smaller back then, but I, you know, I, I would say that I didn't feel well, so I couldn't go to something. Um, because you know, when I tried to go, I didn't feel well. (laughs) 
I wasn't bullshitting. I just, I just didn't know how else to explain it. But then I went on a backpacking trip around Southeast Asia with my partner at the time and it just got so bad at that point. It really reached a peak. I was having panic attacks every day. I still did not know what they were, uh, but I just knew that every time we would go to leave the hostel, I would, it was like my body would just shut down and I wasn't able to walk properly. I wasn't able to speak. I wasn't able to think. Um, I just didn't feel safe at all. Um, And my boyfriend would go around to different pharmacies trying to purchase things that would help. Nothing helped. And anyway, when it got to the end of that trip, we were on the plane home and I was just sobbing uncontrollably because I just wanted to get home because that was the only place I seemed to get any relief from these feelings. And it wasn't because it wasn't like I just would walk through my front door and the feelings would stop. It was that when I came into my house, I felt like I didn't have to pretend anymore. I felt like, you know, I'm in my room. I know where my bathroom is. I know where my bed is. Like I don't have to be judged or feel strange or, you know, like I just could be the way I was. But as it turned out, I came home and I ended up in the emergency room that night because I had the biggest panic attack that I'd ever had. I lost all feeling in my legs um, and I freaked out completely. Got to the hospital. They ran all these tests. Turned out there was nothing wrong with me. Go figure. (laughs) And um, they basically sent me on my way. Uh, I started going to see my GP repeatedly because I just could not get out of the house and I still didn't know what was wrong with me. Had more tests, had a colonoscopy, had blood tests, tried different medications, you know, like went through the list of trying to figure out what it was. And eventually my doctor sat me down and said, you have depression, you have anxiety and you have agoraphobia. And I remember thinking, what is agoraphobia? I had no idea. I'd never heard of it before. Um... Of course, I knew what depression was, I knew what anxiety was, but agoraphobia just didn't, I had no idea. So went home and Googled it, as you do, and I just suddenly felt relief because I thought, this is exactly what is wrong with me. This is what is happening. I read, you know, all these stories of people and and the symptoms and the, the thoughts and it just... I was like, oh, my God, finally, I know what this is, finally. And at that point, I I was like, I can fix this, you know. We know what it is. We can fix it. Even though I read, you know, most of the stories about agoraphobia were from people saying that, you know, I got to a good place and then I regressed and, you know, I've had it for 40 years and, like, it all seemed quite I don't know, like, I don't want to say negative, but it seemed a bit bleak. But I was still, I was like, I'm going to fix this. I know what this is. It's we're sweet. And I tried. I pretty much the next day told my mum to take me to the shopping centre, got in the car, 
And when we were about halfway there, I nearly commando rolled out of the car because I just couldn't go any further. I could not. It was like there was this roaring in my body and I just couldn't take it. You know, anyone who has had a panic attack will know (laughs) exactly what it's like. You just feel like there is no possible way you could move even an inch unless you're running in the opposite direction. So that was when I guess being an official housebound agoraphobic began. I just did not want to feel that way again. I did not want to feel that level of panic and fear and terror again. Um, So I basically just made my life centered around my house and I stopped working. I stopped socializing or, well, if I did socialize, they would come to me. I wouldn't be able to go to them. But even then it was still just close friends because I didn't want to tell people what was going on. So, you know, it was just my very close circle that would come over. Um, but yeah, I would, I would say no to everything outside of my house. My mum would get me things. My boyfriend would get me things from out of the house. You know, other people got groceries. Other people went and got my medication for me. And it's actually quite crazy how, um, you know, something that might seem so abnormal can become so normal. I spent two years completely housebound and I made it work, you know. I guess we all know lately with COVID and lockdowns and, you know, we know what it, like, you you can actually just stay at home, but it is not good for your mental health, obviously. And once you do that, it's even harder to get back out again. And so it was like the longer I spent at home, the harder it was for me to get back out there again or to even being to be able to imagine to get back out there just seemed so bizarre but I had my daughter in 2015 and let me tell you getting to the hospital to have my plan c-section when I was a housebound acrophobic was the most difficult thing I ended up having to go to hospital two weeks early because my obstetrician just did not think that I was going to make it there So I stayed in the psych ward until I um, moved to the maternity ward the day that I had my cesarean. (laughs) And then driving home from the hospital, my mum had to take me home first with a blanket over my head and my headphones on and my eyes closed. And then she went back to the hospital and brought my boyfriend and my daughter (laughs) and my dad home. That was crazy. Um, But yeah, after I had her things shifted, the the main turning point for me was when her dad took her to her first immunizations and it was a two-minute drive from our house. But I couldn't face it. I said no from the get-go. I was like, no, you're going to have to take her. I can't do it. I cannot do it. I won't even entertain the thought of doing it (laughs) and he pulled out of the driveway with her in the back seat all 
you know, buckled up into her little, her little capsule and I just felt like my heart was being ripped out of my chest. And I did not want to be that mum who always had to stay at home while her daughter went out. You know, I wanted her to be able to go out with me. I wanted to be with her. I wanted to protect her. I wanted to be by her side. And that was when I started to actually get out of the house and get serious about it. And the thing with getting out of the house when you're agoraphobic, everyone tells you that exposure therapy is the way to recover from agoraphobia. And you're like, well, no shit. You know, like if I could get out of the house, then we wouldn't have this problem in the first place. There has to be some way of beating agoraphobia that doesn't involve leaving the house first. (laughs) Like there has to be some medication, some, you know, hypnotherapy, like some something that I can do that will help me to get out of the house that doesn't involve me having to get out of the house with this much fear in my body. Unfortunately, (laughs) you are going to have that much fear in your body just with anticipation. You know, it's just going to be like that. Until you do it and realize that it's not as scary as you think it is, you're going to think it's as scary as you think it is, you know. So I had, I knew already, I had tried so many different ways to beat agoraphobia by not leaving the house and it just hadn't worked. If anything, I'd become even more agoraphobic than before I started trying. Um, But when I actually started to leave the house, things changed. So I would take my daughter out for walks in the pram. And when I say walks, I mean we would walk 100 metres down the street, if even that. And I would take so many things with us for these walks. I would pack the pram full of all these things, not for her, but things that I thought that I might need, Um, you know, like water bottles and and headphones and snacks and an emergency spare pair of undies and like just so many things that I thought might help me if I panicked. Um, But anyway, I started doing that every day. I would try and take her out. And full disclosure, some days we didn't make it out. Some days I hadn't had enough sleep. I was too panicked. I, you know, my anticipatory anxiety got the better of me and we didn't make it, but it became a sort of a part of the routine. And, you know, when I look back, it was like, I got out more days than I stayed home ultimately. And once I'd mastered walks down the street, we would go, you know, a little bit further And then we would go a little bit further. And then some days we would not be able to go further at all because we'd feel like we were back to square one. And then I would be able to go forward again. Like it just, it always felt like one step forward, two steps back, five steps to the side. But all of those steps were at least steps, you know, whereas before when I was trying to fix my agoraphobia by not getting outside, I wasn't actually moving and I don't mean physically like I do but you know I wasn't actively trying to confront the things that scared me I was trying to you know (laughs) not look at them but also beat them and it just didn't work like that for me but 
eventually, you know, as I said, with the walks, it just became a habit. It became a part of our routine. When my daughter got old enough to start saying words, she would say walk, she would say shops. (laughs) She just came to expect it. And she became my little sidekick. And we, we sort of conquered the world together in a way. Um, but so, yeah, that was, that was what happened. And then she was born in 2015. I want to say 2016, I started going out for, you know, birthday dinners and, um, like coffee with friends. And then in 2017, I would go on road trips little trips away. I think I went on a plane for the first time since I'd been agoraphobic. In 2018, I went back to work. Um, I went on an international holiday. So I really went from being too terrified to open my front door to really wanting to add new challenges and to see more of the world. Um, And it seems like it took a long time and at the time it seems like it was taking a long time, but it was kind of like I needed to build up slowly to get my confidence back. And, you know, these days life feels relatively normal in saying that we are in the middle of a worldwide pandemic where everything feels fucked and, you know, if I think about it too much, I just want to run away. So (laughs) it's probably the least normal it's ever been, but my life is normal in the sense that um, I don't say no to anything. Uh, Yeah, I work full time. I socialize. I go to the shops if I need to on a whim. You know, I can get up early in the morning and leave the house straight away without having to sit on the toilet for two hours and Um, you know, ruminate and worry and leave and then come back and then leave and then come back and then decide, fuck it, I'm not going anywhere today. I can't do this. Things just feel a lot more simple. And it took a lot of practice and it took a lot of learning how to regulate myself. And some days regulating myself is, you know, sitting on the couch and watching a lot of Netflix and eating Doritos (laughs) and other days regulating myself is some yoga, some meditation, some green tea. Just kidding. I hate green tea. I don't know why I said that. That was the first thing that came to mind. But, you know, like some days it is those self-care type of things that we we immediately think of when we think self-care. But other days regulating myself is just allowing myself to um, have emotions and to deal with them in the way that I feel like I want to deal with them rather than always running away from every feeling and every sensation that feels remotely strange in my body, you know, and trying to ignore it or assuming that it means something terrible and that I need to go to the hospital because something awful is happening. So it's kind of like I've had to relearn my whole body all over again. But yeah, it's brought me here, which is I'm in a space now where I just want to continue the conversation about mental health. If you know me at all, you know how passionate I am about talking about the things that people don't want to talk about. 
you guys know my love for talking about toilet anxiety. Um, that was a big, a big issue for me. And I know it's a big issue for a lot of people and I will be talking about it on this podcast. So don't you worry. There will be episodes specifically about that. Um, but you know, I also want to talk about the other things that we don't talk about with anxiety, like relationships and, um, you know, how to differentiate between feeling sick and feeling anxious, because that is a hard one. When you've gotten to a place with anxiety where you've, you know, started to sort of rejoin the world again, it's like some days you feel weird and you don't know whether or not that's panic and you should just sort of keep going about your day or whether or not you are actually sick. Um, yeah, I think those things are really important to talk about. And I, I kind of feel like it's my life's mission now to really just unfurl anxiety and to uncover it and to um, make it something that we are all more aware of. Because the thing is, we are aware of it, but it shouldn't have taken me two years to figure out what a panic attack was. I shouldn't have had to go through every test under the sun, including a colonoscopy, to realize that my body felt unsafe and that was why I felt physically sick. Um, we need to have more openness and more transparency and, you know, just a, a bigger conversation about all of this. So that is the basic reason that I wanted to start the podcast that is also how I recovered from agoraphobia in a nutshell um, I will be talking about that a little bit more on the podcast I'm also going to have some special guests to talk about topics that I aren't I aren't I am not um, you know a an expert at um, things like social anxiety I mean that's something I deal with to the extent that I feel like people are going to judge me, but I don't deal with it to the extent that I know a lot of people do. I already have a guest in mind for that episode. I think she knows exactly who she is. Um, but yeah, I would love this podcast to be a place that you can feel heard, you can feel safe, you can have some questions answered, or you can just feel like somebody understands the way you feel. I am Lauren Rose and this is the first episode of Us Anxious Folk. Welcome. You belong here. I feel like that was really cheesy and I don't know if I'm going to leave it in but we might just roll with it. Thank you for listening to the Us Anxious Folk podcast, the podcast for the chronically overwhelmed, perpetually panicked, anxious folk in all of us. If you would like to find more about me, you can find me on YouTube at Lauren Rose or on Instagram at Lauren R underscore Rose.